0: Ladies and gentlemen, you found the program that pulls no punches, that knocks out political correctness, and delivers a right cross to defend the Constitution. We call it Fighting Words. And now, entering the ring, retired infantry colonel, trial liar, and fighter for truth and justice. Kurt Schlichter! Hey everybody, this is Kurt Schlichter and this is another edition of Fighting Words, the Hugh Hewitt affiliated podcast where I attempt to stay FCC compliant and I'll probably fail because I'm Kurt Schlichter and that's just kind of how I roll. So everybody, glad you tuned in. A lot going on. I'm not sure exactly where we're going to go because let me, let me level with you. I don't plan these. Okay. Uh, you know, a guy like Hugh Hewitt will sit and he'll read like fifteen newspapers and he'll carefully outline exactly what he's gonna do with an interview or, or whatever, or a monologue. And, you know, you you see the results because he's he's just terrific. And I, I really enjoy Hugh. He, I, I I learn from him every time I listen to him about how to do this. In fact, next Wednesday he's gonna let me uh be behind the helm at uh the command post. Uh Dwayne Patterson will hold my hand and you know, Adam and Ben and the rest will help me out. But, uh, you know, I'll get to do it. And maybe uh, maybe I'll talk about how how the show goes behind the scenes on my next fighting words, because that's that's going to be on a Wednesday. So I'll probably record it in the car coming home after talking for three hours, starting at three in the morning. So that should be interesting. Anyway, uh, in comparison, how do I prepare for this? Well, here's how I prepared for it. I looked down and I said, oh, dang it. I forgot to record my thing earlier this morning. I better do it now. What am I gonna talk about? Oh my gosh. So as you can see, uh, I, I, I prefer to wing it. I prefer to wing it. I am you know, I usually have an idea of where I'm gonna go, but I I, I like to wing it. Um, I like improvisation and I'll, look, I am a planner. I was an operations officer for a brigade. And I worked in a division operations and all sorts of other stuff. So it's not like I hate planning. I understand the military decision-making process and all that sort of stuff. But I'm also a trial lawyer and stuff happens and you've got to react. I'm a stand up comic, uh stuff goes off the boards, and unless you're like Paula Poundstone, who rigorously stays with her entire set the entire time, yeah you know, you're going off on a tangent if you're good. And by the way, I don't listen to other stand up comics. I can't do it. I, I just can't do it anymore. It's um, it's kind of weird. You know, because I, I love comedy. Being a stand-up was fun. I did it from like 2000 to 2004. Then I deployed. And I, I was a better writer than performer. I was always a good performer. I'd get up on stage and I would, you know, I had these advantages that other comics didn't. For instance, I would show up sober and I would show up on time and I usually could draw a crowd. And, you know, promoters like that because 90% of being a, somebody dealing with stand-up comics is dealing with stand-up comics because many of them are insane uh many of them don't have other jobs their lives are complete chaos and here i was a, you know a lawyer partner in a law firm uh army officer w- very normal guy in a lot of ways i was just like I, look i grew up in the suburbs, a suburban guy i don't have a lot of weird emotional issues I'm not racked by uh, insecurities and thoughts of inferiority. If anything, you know, as a cavalry officer, I have a very inflated opinion of myself. We'll talk about cavalry in a minute. I want to, uh, I want to, I want to go and talk about Custer and some other kind of military stuff. Maybe you'll be interested in that. Maybe you won't. But you're not paying for this, 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 this podcast, so why are you complaining? Stop complaining. Anyway, I enjoyed doing stamp comedy, and it was fun. And my, my favorite part is. When I could kind of go off. Now, when I speak to groups, and I do speak to groups, and I'm, I'm available for, you know, large gatherings and children's parties, uh, you've got to pay me though. My, my favorite one was these, uh, guys who said, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're the biggest organization in California for this thing, and we're, we're really, really powerful. And then they're like, oh, hey, would you like to come speak to us? I'm like, sure, I'll come speak to you. And they're like, great, you can drive four hours each way, and then you can talk, and uh, we'll allow you to sell your books. Now, my last book got to number twenty-nine on Amazon without their help. And I was like, "No, I'm I'm going to need money, and I'm going to need a substantial amount." Of it. And uh, they were like stunned. And I'm like, "No, no, you you you've got to give me money because I'm going to spend a whole day not doing law, and then I'm going to give you the benefit of my experience and my skills and my insights, all of which I have worked. Gosh, I started working." mopping out toilets at Carl's Jr., which has a lot to do with what I do now. Uh, you might not see the connection, but I see the connection. You know, I was, you know I, I was like 1981, so I'm, I've got nearly 40 years of experience. You're going to have to write me a check. And they were like morally, let you sell your book. I'm like, well, first of all, I, I, I disagree with your premise. You'll let me sell my book. My book is selling like hotcakes. My new book is Crisis. It's the fifth of the Kelly Turnbull books, so uh, you may have heard me talk about it on with Hugh on Monday, uh, which is a lot of fun. And, uh, it, it's fun being interviewed with Hugh, and I'll talk about that. But, uh, yeah, Crisis is a lot of fun. People like it. I think it's got like almost 200 reviews already, most of them, uh, five stars. But you get the, you get the guys who, are, like, are not verified purchasers, and they give you one star and they have one line going, I think this guy is a dummy. Okay, great. That's very, very useful. Thank you. Uh, but most of them are, you know, and, and, and it's really weird when you read some of these reviews about their book because they'll be talking about the plot and you'll be like, this is a thing that I just invented in my head and this guy's like discussing it. It's just kind of weird. It's gratifying though. People seem to like Crisis and the other books, uh, People's Republic, Indian Country, Wildfire, and Collapse. And I got to tell you, they're a lot of fun to write. And I'll give you a sneak preview. I'm writing the next one really soon. I'm looking to get out in May instead of like one a year. I'm looking to get out in May. And the reason is, A, I I like selling books, but B, I just, I think I've got a really good idea for it. And it just sounds like so much fun to write. That's some of these, I I don't get it. Some of these people, they, they look at writing as if it's a Batan death march. Oh my gosh, I gotta sit down and write. And I'm like, Always excited to do it. I write three town halls a week, uh, Monday, Wednesday, which is my VIP thing. You should join Town Hall VIP. Use promo code Kurt, and then and then Thursday. And I, I got to tell you, I have fun. I enjoy it. I, I get to be funny. Uh, although my VIP for today, uh, that column, I actually was more serious because I did a dissection of a National Review article: Trump's disgraceful post-election behavior. And I, I was much more lawyerly in it. And people comment because I'll put my uh, put my email address on it. At, uh, here, I'll give it to you guys because you're cool. Kurt Schlichter at Townhall.com. There's my super secret address. You can email me, and I, I get a lot of emails. I, I, I usually can't respond in detail, but I, I try. I at least read them, and I try and say at least something back if you take the time to write me. Up, I'm gonna try and respond. But in any case. Um, you know people you know it, it's just well the whole thing's just kind of interesting uh, you know write, write in the comments uh, write, write in the columns and write in this one on national review it was uh, it was a terrible article. Now, I'm not saying it's terrible because it's substantively wrong. No, it is substantively wrong. Trump was not disgraceful for fighting this thing. It was just incoherent. I don't think it was up to the standards of William F. Buckley. And Look, I'm a friend of National Review. I, I, I've read National Review for nearly 40 years. I have friends who write for it, like Jim Garrity, David Hassani. Uh, I mean, David's not really a friend. Jim is. Uh, but I, I know him and I respect Andrew McCarthy and, uh, VDH writes there and they, I am not against National Review, but this, this editorial is just terrible. This was an editor's They're like, ah, you know, uh, Trump shouldn't be, you know, fighting this election. I mean, sure, there were, uh, you know, there were problems to consider about the election. Okay, stop. How do we deal with disputes? Well, in our society, using the institutions, you, you go to court and you make your case, which is what he's doing. So if there are considerations, how is it disgraceful if you've already told us there are problems with the election? How can it be disgraceful to challenge them? You know, I mean that that's just this glaring uh, intellectual pothole that uh, William F. Buckley would have gone. Uh, uh, you, no, no, we're not going to do this. You you're going to need to rethink this. Uh, and then they, they went on their Their next argument was, "What well, Trump's losing all the cases? Oh my gosh!" You mean people lose cases? People lose meritorious cases? What? Does that ever happen? Yes, it happens all the time. Remember, in every lawsuit, one of the two parties who, by definition, thinks he's going to win, otherwise he'd settle, loses. Okay? And election contests are properly very, very difficult. They're very difficult. You have the abbreviated schedule. You only have a few weeks. Uh, when somebody's committing, you know, Irregularities, which include fraud, when somebody's doing these things, they're hiding them, so it's hard to gather evidence. I spent two, three years building a lawsuit for fraud. Two, three years before I sat inside of a courtroom, I'd be doing discovery, I'd be doing depositions. We're one month after the trial, after the election, and you got six states. And there, there is evidence already. You got affidavits, you got people testifying. They're having these little hearings, which the media is studiously ignoring, uh, showing, uh, uh, you know, considerable testimony regarding, you know, very, very shaky stuff, very sketchy stuff. So there is evidence, uh, whether it's going to be enough, whether there are procedural things like standing you know, uh, latches and, you know, other issues. And where the remedy, uh, those can kill a case right off. And where the remedy, what's the remedy? Does the judge pick who won the election? Well, how do you do that? If you know the election was fraudulent, how do you know it was fraudulent enough or such that, you know, Trump wins? Now, I think the election had irregularities that affected the outcome. That is my gut opinion. But, you know, if you're going to go to court, you've got to prove that. And it's going to be very difficult. So when National Review says, well, he's losing his cases. Well, you think. But is winning the cases the only legitimate purpose? How about bringing attention to these considerations that National Review said were considerations? It admitted there were problems. What, do we not address the problems? We just walk away because it's icky? Because, oh, well, I never. No, no. You you litigate them. You draw attention to them, and then we do some about them. I liken this a lot to what happened in California in 2018. We in the Republican Party got sideswiped by the ballot harvesting thing. Ballot harvesting was legal. It was passed by the legislature. It was legal. We don't like it. I don't like it. But you know, sometimes laws you don't like get passed, and then that becomes the rules. And the Democrats played by those rules, and they won. They grabbed, set what, five, six, seven seats in the House. And we were like, ooh. This time, we played by those rules. I don't like ballot harvesting, but if we're going to have ballot harvesting, we're going to harvest ballots too. And we grabbed back, what, three, four seats? I think that's what's going to happen in 22 and 24. I think we are going to see um, some substantial responses by the Republican Party, to the new landscape. And I, I certainly hope we see it uh, with regard to Georgia. I'm feeling okay about Georgia. I think Warnock is very, very liberal. Uh, I'm not sure the uh, without Trump on the uh, ballot, you're going to get as, quite as many people coming out. Uh, I think we need to take it seriously. But I, I would rather be us than them right now. I think, I think we will grab it, but I, I don't know for sure, and I, I certainly don't think we ought to take it for granted. And he was doing great work on, uh, Georgia. So, stay out there. Anyway, I'm wandering all over the map. Let me wander up to Little Bighorn. You know, Little Bighorn is where Custer had his famous last stand. He was a cavalry commander, just, I I was a cavalry uh, squadron commander myself. Uh, although I think he was, you know, is he a general i mean he was a lieutenant colonel, and at times he was uh, a rather uh, a general they would they would wear the rank of a general he was just a lieutenant colonel but uh, anyway, he went out looking for some Indians there were a lot of Indians he split up his forces and basically got wiped out to the last man. Why is that important well because um, it's a pretty famous last stand, and uh, I think uh, last stands are something, uh, uh, you know, fighting against the odds or something that we as conservatives need to do. And it's a great book by Michael Walsh. He's a friend of the show. You probably read The Fiery Angel, The Devil's, Devil's Pleasure Palace, or *House of Pleasure. I forget the title. Uh, he's got a new one called Last Stands, uh, Why Men Fight. And uh, I, I think it's a fantastic book. Uh, Michael's a friend of mine. I'll probably have him as a guest uh, when, uh, when I uh, sub for Hugh. It's, it, it's a great book. The last part is his father's story. His as Fires as of Marina at the Chosin Reservoir. And I'm reading this, and this is just fantastic stuff, guys. I can't recommend Last Stands by Michael Walsh highly enough. It just came out yesterday. It's a, it's a big hit, selling. I would go out and get it. I've already got, it. I've already actually sent it to someone. I got a free copy, because Michael's my friend. But, uh, uh, I I, I sent one to my dad. I'll probably send one to other people because I I think it's just that good. But I think the message there that you don't give up is important. I think that's one of the mistakes that these uh, national review guys make. They they think that we're obligated to give up, to give in. I don't think so. I don't care if people think I'm unseemly. It's not unseemly to fight. Look, this whole idea about being a gentleman and you just kind of let things happen, that's not what a gentleman is. Gentlemen are tough. Okay? Look at look at the British gentleman. And I pointed this out in one of my town hall columns. You know, the same guys fussing over uh, which uh, uh, fort to use for the foie gras uh, were also fighting Zulus, Boers and in the trenches at uh, Passchendaele. OK, they they were not sissies when it came to fighting. They fought. And the problem with a lot of our kind of never Trumpy guys is they've got the. Sissy part of being a gentleman down, the, the fancy part, the, the ma- they, the exaggerated manners, but they don't have the inherent toughness. Nobody respected a British lord because, you know, of his coat and tails. Can you tell I've been wa- watching a lot of Downton Abbey? They respected him because they knew when everything was going to hell, he stood there on the firing line with his guys and put his rear end out there. And that means something. And that's, I think, what's missing a lot with our kind of never Trumpy folks, our establishment Republicans, the gentlemen. Being a gentleman doesn't mean you always roll over. And I look, and I have a big problem with George W. Bush because George W. Bush was a gentleman, but he didn't fight back when he was attacked uh, during his uh, eight years. And we defended him. Right. You and me, the base. And uh, then afterwards, when we needed his help, where the hell was George Bush? Where was George Bush? Where were the rest of these guys? Because George Bush wasn't out there. Um, I didn't see him on the election. I didn't see him on the campaign trail. I didn't see him supporting Trump. But he doesn't like Trump. I, I, I don't care. I I don't care. He wasn't out, he, he, I, I wasn't asking him to be out there to support Trump. I was asking him to be out there to support us by supporting Trump. And he didn't do it. He wouldn't do it because his feels were more important. And I think that's a huge character flaw. I think, I think George, and I know, well, I know, know Hugh is a very, uh, has a lot of respect for George Bush. I have some respect for George Bush in some important ways. Um, but in other ways, I, I think his, his, uh, vision of being a gentleman uh, ends up not doing the hard things, which I think are the core of being a gentleman, doing things that are difficult that a lesser man won't do. Rather, his vision of being a gentleman seems to correspond to what he wants. I don't want to sully my hands with uh, Trump. So I'll pretend being a gentleman means taking the easy way out and not having to go out there and back up a guy I don't particularly like because all my supporters, the guys who had my back, need me to do that. Supporting Trump would have been the hard thing, and he chose not to do it. And I don't think that's – when you are talking about being a gentleman, I, I don't think that's it. I don't think that's what being a gentleman means. I think being a gentleman means, you know, you have good manners uh you are have integrity and you do the hard things that lesser men won't do. That's how you distinguish yourself. Otherwise, what are you? You're a poser. You're a guy who knows what soup spoon to use, but no one wants you in this foxhole. I don't want to be that guy. I don't think you want to be that guy, and I won't vote for that guy. So anyway. Um, so where are we at right now? Well, um, I, I like I said, I, I think Donald Trump's got a, a hard road to hoe. Uh, if I ha- if I was a betting man, and I sometimes am, I would bet that uh, uh, Joe Biden's going to be inaugurated. Joe, Joe Biden's taking an interesting course. He's going center left as opposed to hard left talking about nominating mostly fairly center-left kind of people. A couple radicals, I think they're out there to be targets. Nina Tandon or Tandon, whatever her name is. I've, I've, I've tangled with her on Twitter, and she's you know, she's a commie. Uh, I think she's out there to draw fire. So let the Republicans get her head, and we'll slip everyone else in. I hope the Republicans aren't fooled, but being Republicans, well, you know how that goes. Uh, but I, I I think he's trying to be moderate. And Hugh's theory, because I was on with Hugh on Monday, he asked me about crisis and we talked about that. But he also asked me about what he thought of uh, uh appointments. Uh, his theory is, hey, let him have his appointments. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. That should be the rule, but I'm not sure it is. In game theory, when somebody breaks the rules and stops cooperating, if you cooperate, you graduate, you know, but one guy doesn't cooperate thinking he'll get ahead and the hell with everyone else. The, the, in game theory, the best response to that is massive brutal retaliation. The Democrats need to pay. I think we need to put some, head on, some heads on some spikes. I think not just Nina Tandon, because she's, she's gone, but uh, a number of people to show that we're not going to accept what they did to the Republicans. I would give him a choice. I, or, I would sit down, you know, if I was the murder turtle. Cocaine Mitch, I would sell Schumer and say, first of all, you, you've got to pay. Okay? It's a matter of how much you pay. You're going to you're going to lose some people. And not just the, the obvious uh, distractions like near a tandem, but uh, you're, you're going to lose some people that you really want. And it's going to hurt. And it has to because you have to pay. But you get a choice. You can lose a few or you can lose a lot. And if you if you don't do anything, you don't want anything to change, you'll lose a lot. And we'll just go through this cycle again. You'll do the same to us uh, once you have the ability to. I get it. We can do that. That's that's your choice. A choice B is we go out there publicly and you first of all, admit your obstruction the last time. And then say, we're not going to obstruct anymore. You can count on us. We are not going to do that. Uh, We're going to work together. And you will get more of your people passed quicker. If we're going to change the rules back, A, you got to suffer a little because you made us suffer. It just has to happen. And B, you have to publicly announce, okay, uh, I've come to Jesus. I've learned my lesson. We're not going to do it anymore. And then we can reset. So choose. That's how I would do it. That is that is the choice I would give. Uh, and I'd be happy to uh, uh, continue mutually assured destruction. That'd be fine with me. Uh, and I'd be happy to end it. And generally, you know, unless the guy had real substantial problems or gal or gender fluid individual being, other kin, whatever. I, w- I, would, I would generally let them have it. Have that appointment because of the president. He's the heavy thing. But I want to know what the rules are. If the rules are we obstruct everything, we slow walk everything, we screw over the incoming administration. That's fine. If that's the rule and it was the rule under Trump, then that's going to be the rule under Biden. He's going to suffer and he will suffer a little regardless because there's there's got to be some pain. Uh, but if we want to change the rule, we've got to announce publicly and clearly that we are changing the rule. And yeah, that means you get up there, Chuck Schumer, A, admit what you did. B, say we're going to try a new way forward. And C, I'm committed to giving the next Republican president, including if it's Donald Trump again, and I think Donald Trump's going to run. We'll probably talk about that next week. Um, he's got to get up there and publicly say it. He's got to commit to it. And he's got to have a bunch of Democrats standing behind him, all nodding. Because if we're going to reset the rule, we're going to reset the rule. Uh no resetting the rule just sort of like, oh well, we're gonna be nice people and show an example. No. Nope. We're resetting the rule. We're gonna publicly do it. That's my view. Anyway, I have yacked on long enough here on uh Fighting Words, the Hugh Hewitt affiliated podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you, you know you laughed, you cried, we grew together, we shared so many feelings. In any case. Check me out again next Wednesday. Check out all my columns. Follow me on Twitter. Go get Crisis. Go get Michael Walsh's last stands. If you get Crisis and last stands together, I think that's a great way to go. Frankly, that's just me. Just saying. Anyway, thanks a lot. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.